Okay, now we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Get it with the Wednesday night wrestling edition of your favorite podcast. That is right, getting over is back to break down everything that happened Wednesday night in NXT and on AEW Dynamite, and we have an absolutely loaded, slightly extended show this week as I do have a guest joining me to break down AEW Dynamite. Before we get into all of that, a reminder to follow the Silver King on Twitter at SilversteinAdam, but more importantly, follow this show on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Of course, at any time now, in the middle of the show, when you hear something you think is funny or at the very end, make sure you head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us that five-star rating and review. It is all about the damn five. Let us know how much you love this show. Every single rating and review counts and helps us in the long term. It is completely free for you to take 10 seconds, 30 seconds out of your life to do it. Please do it so I can stop asking at the beginning of every single show. Folks, as I said, a loaded show today covering NXT and AEW Dynamite. When I originally said that I had a special guest co-host for this show, it is not the person who actually ended up being the special guest co-host from the show. Originally, Outback Jack Crosby was going to be joining me to break down AEW this week. It was Tag Team Appreciation Night. We were both really geeked up for it. We had a lot of plans. Unfortunately, personal circumstances did not allow him to make the taping very unfortunate. We will have him back sooner than later. I know a lot of you big fans of Jack. I am too. Life scheduling during these strange times. It's been very difficult to get him to do podcasting. He will do episodes of this show in the future, but in specific, he will come on to talk AEW sooner than later. I promise you. Instead, our WWE co-host, Chris Vanini will be joining me for the AEW portion of the show later. That will be in the second half of today's show, and I will have timestamps in the description, as I do, by the way, for every single episode of this podcast, whether it's an instant analysis, an interview show, uh, WWE, NXT, and AEW, no matter what it is, we always have timestamps in the description so you can skip around if you so choose. So because of that, because Chris is going to be joining me later, we are going to start this week with NXT. I mean, we normally start with NXT, but in particular this week, we're starting with NXT. And look, the main storyline was kind of what opened the show. Keith Lee eating a fireball to the damn face. So there's two parts to the Silver King's take on this. Let's start with the negative. The negative is the storyline aspect. We know Cross is a deserving challenger based on what he's accomplished already to this point in NXT, plus the fact that he beat up Lee's friend Dominic Dijakovic a couple weeks ago. But the storyline of how this match was signed was so poorly conceived and unnecessary. Think about it. Cross challenges Lee. Lee accepts, but the general manager, William Regal, won't let it happen because Cross hasn't earned it somehow. So Cross beats the shit out of a couple of people in the backstage area the next week, still doesn't get the title shot. Lee then just promises Regal he won't touch him before the match, since when was that an issue? So Regal just relents off screen after being on screen twice, saying that Cross wouldn't get the title shot. He just relents and gives him a contract. How does that follow through with Cross needing to earn it? Because he beat Danny freaking Birch in about four minutes with a submission? That doesn't make any sense to me. So storyline-wise, in terms of how we got here, not the biggest fan. 
But with that out of the way, the execution of what we got was pretty great. Did not love Cross ducking out of the ring when this could have been done face-to-face. It could have been accomplished the exact same way, maybe with a lot more emphasis. But the way Cross signed the document while staring at Lee and kind of pointing his wrist down, not even looking to see if he signed on the line, that popped me. I like that. And then Scarlet taking it and sealing it with a kiss, that was obviously the surprise, led to the fireball in Lee's face, which was a bit of cool old school wrestling. I was also fond of NXT staying with Keith Lee, not just immediately after the fireball, but all the way through the backstage area with a split screen during the next match and then through the commercial break as he got sent off in an ambulance. It was a rare instance where I disliked the setup, but I really thought they nailed the execution. And now going into TakeOver, you're kind of left to wonder what NXT is actually going to do here. Are they really going to take the title off Keith Lee, the first ever double champion, in a month because of Karrion Cross? Is the reason they're going to do that to immediately send Keith Lee up to the main roster and have him jump into a main event picture? If that's the case, I can maybe see it. They wanted to make him a double champion to build him up as strong as they could, given the fact that they knew he was going to leave and they wanted him to have the title. And by Cross beating him, it makes Cross look very strong. I can see all of that being legitimate. I just don't know that there's enough main event level faces in NXT right now to sustain Cross being champion, nor do I know that that's a good decision to make. But with the fireball, it does give Lee a bit of an out. They have a really good match. They beat the shit out of each other in the finish. Cross rakes his eyes. Lee sells it, eats the Saito, and that's it. And he loses. So maybe that's the direction they're going. I can't help but think I'm going to be disappointed if Lee drops the title. That's just my mindset going into TakeOver, but we will talk about more of that next week. Next up, Adam Cole calling out Pat McAfee. Nice weaving storylines together, having Undisputed Era arrive in the parking lot as Lee was getting driven off, and then immediately having them come in to force the no contest between Killian Dane and Drake Maverick. That was a strange match to make as it was. Talk about a difference in size. That was really out of left field. So I had no problem with that booking as... It got the job done, right? That match, I didn't need resolution to that match. We knew Killian Dane was going to win that match. It was fine. Uh, I was disappointed that we didn't see any more of Undisputed Era after that on the show. The segment also made me wonder whether they're going with Cole and Undisputed Era as face, tweener, or they're going to do a heel versus heel match, Cole versus McAfee. There was also the fact that Kyle O'Reilly was kind of in the background giving Adam Cole almost an evil eye for a large portion Makes me curious about whether there's going to be an Undisputed Era split or if he's just still still angry about last week, him getting pinned and losing that match. So successful opening to the show with those two segments. But I did feel like there were numerous flaws in the storytelling of Lee and Cross and some of the execution of the Cole thing, not knowing really what they're going to be doing with Undisputed Era. Moving on, you had Santos Escobar against Tyler Breeze, defeating Tyler Breeze in a non-title match. This was a good match between the two. But I wish Escobar had been given the chance to win without any interference. There's no need really to protect Breeze. Escobar still needs to get built. The Phantom Driver finish was great. You guys know I love that. And it looks like they're going to be doing that six-man tag next week. So from a storyline standpoint, it makes sense. Ahead of the Escobar-Swerve match at TakeOver 30. But again, a situation where I want Escobar to look strong. I like when people get built strong. And for there to be an interference finish against Tyler Breeze who hasn't won anything since returning to NXT, it felt unnecessary to me. Mia Yim defeated Indy Hartwell. Even though Hartwell isn't winning, 
I like that they're giving her consistent TV time. She's not the present of the division right now, but she is the future. And she has a lot going for her. So good for him to get a lot, of, good for her to get a lot of work with Yim and some of the other big stars in NXT. But right now the women's division in NXT is extremely strong. WWE as a whole, but all three divisions are strong. Makes me really excited for that battle royal on SmackDown Friday. The NXT women against the Raw women against the SmackDown women to determine the number one contendership for Bailey. I hope Yim and Hartwell are both in that match. It would be great to see them. Bronson Reed against Damian Priest. That was next. Man, what a freaking match this was. This was match of the night. Both brands for me. Absolutely loved it. Both brands, I mean both shows. NXT and AEW. You can keep your moonsaults and your five-star classics, your 30-minute matches. All I want is one thing. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> That's what I want. You know what I'm saying? That's what I want to see. Put your meat on my meat, man. Gently now. You're good, you're good. Gen- please, oh, gently, yeah, yeah. gently. I'm, I'm delicate. There's nothing delicate about Bronson Reed against Damian Priest. What a freaking match. These guys are both really athletic for their size. We got a lot more than I expected here, knowing that ladder match is coming up. Another victory for Reed. Good. You know, Priest can eat it. Reed losing to Priest would have knocked him down a peg. I was glad to see this guy get built. They're really making me think that he's going to be the one getting the push to win the North American title in the ladder match. We're going to see if that happens. That just seems to be the direction they're going. They have really pushed Bronson Reed. First, winning that triple threat over Johnny Gargano and Finn Balor. Now beating Damian Priest in a one-on-one. This guy's going to go into this ladder match. Thick Boy may be the next North American champion. That was an awesome match. Really, really Wanted to make sure I put that over on this show. You had the Robert Stone brand, for lack of a better term, defeating Caden Carter and Casey Cantonazaro. I've said before, I really like the Caseys together. I wish they would develop a team name, a combined entrance. This was a perfectly fine match, all things considered. The point, obviously, was to get Mercedes Martinez over uh, with another submission. I liked that Robert Stone and Aaliyah showed cowardice when Rhea Ripley ran in, but Martinez was the one who stood up to her and didn't coward away. I guess we're going to get a tag team match maybe next week with Shotzi Blackheart, two on two. That's pretty good booking. Obviously, we will have Rio Ripley go up against Mercedes Martinez. I don't know if it's announced for TakeOver 30, but if it's not, it might be. If not, it might be for the NXT the following week, but excited to see that match. I really hope it's a situation where Rhea Ripley gets over on Martinez because Martinez has won a lot of these for the most part. Uh, the showdowns between the two. She obviously cost her the title a couple weeks ago. Rhea Ripley needs to get built up again after being knocked down a little bit. But yeah, that was good. A good usage of the women, getting a lot of people on television. There were a lot of short vignettes or vignette type promos on NXT Wednesday. And almost all of them were really good. In particular, Io Shirai's was brutal on Dakota Kai. I wish that I had could do the audio drops, but it's in Japanese and there were subtitles, so it wouldn't do any justice. But she pointed out how scared Dakota Kai was of Shayna Baszler, how no one even knew who Dakota Kai was until she betrayed Tegan Knox. Great type of promo from a tweener type babyface heel champion in Io Shirai. Io is knocking it out of the park as champion. Love to see it from her. Then you have Finn Balor come in and drop a solid promo as well with this hysterical line that totally popped me. It doesn't matter if you're 18, 49, or living in a retirement home. Everybody watches The Prince. 
This is exactly what I'm talking about when I discuss the difference between beating you over the head with, I'm breaking the fourth wall here versus saying things that will pop fans and make them feel smart and make them feel like insiders. MJF did something later on AEW, I'm gonna mention, that was very similar in regard to this. But that was a very, very cool line from Finn Balor. Obviously, NXT's losing the 1849 demo to AEW, even in weeks where NXT beats AEW in total viewers. I thought that was nice tongue in cheek, very funny, and a good move by Finn. I also, again, liked the Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae invitation into their home type of segment. It's something unique and different that NXT is doing with a couple. And I enjoy how they go from being normal at home, talking to each other, living their lives, to all of a sudden evil staring into the camera, breaking the fourth wall. You realize a good thing about NXT, especially compared to the WWE main roster, is that most people have something big or small going on at most times. There may be weeks, two, three weeks where they're not on TV, but you generally get a feeling and an understanding of what the characters are, their motivations, and what they're currently involved in. And considering how many people are on that NXT roster, they do a really good job involving probably 75% of the people they're featuring on any given week on TV. And that is something that WWE does not do well. And honestly, AEW doesn't do well. When Phoenix and Pentagon are not on TV, you forget that they exist. You forget they're part of the company. It's very rare with NXT when someone is getting TV time that you forget they're there. They try to figure out a way to get them involved one way or another. Something very unique and very good that they do. As far as the main event, the North American qualifying triple threat match with the winner going on to the ladder match at TakeOver 30. Three competitors, Cameron Grimes, Kushida, and a mystery opponent. And that mystery opponent was Velveteen Dream. We will get to the return of Dream in a minute. I wanna get through the match before we get to Dream coming back. First, let's talk about the match. Triple threat match, two great workers in Cameron Grimes and Kushida and a developing talent in Velveteen Dream should have been given a lot more than 13 or 14 minutes. The same with AEW, I'll talk about it in a little bit. I was really disappointed with this main event, knowing what it could be, knowing what I've seen from these people before. Kushida's Spanish fly type of armbar was fantastic. I absolutely loved the finish with Kushida subduing Dream with the hoverboard locks only for Grimes to take advantage with the cave-in for the one, two, three. It was a really good way for Grimes to get the win, escape with the win, which is really fitting with this character. He is someone we definitely need to see in that ladder match at TakeOver. Now, because it was Kushida who got pinned, we have Velveteen Dream going on to face Finn Balor next week. That's gonna be a really good singles match. And Johnny Gargano against Ridge Holland in the other singles match for the final two spots in the ladder match at TakeOver. So the booking of all of this was really good. Uh, obviously, Dexter Loomis, it seems, got hurt and had to get pulled from that match. I thought at first it might be storyline the way Apollo Crews getting pulled out of Money in the Bank was for WWE. Now, I don't think it was storyline. So that's okay. Um, but it, the match would have been better with Loomis in it. The fact that he's not, we're still going to get two more really good competitors in the match. Dream, after the match, fully turned heel. That was a really good decision considering the circumstances. Um, slapping the hell out of Kushida, that was well-received. So now we know Dream's a heel again, and he's continuing on the NXT roster. But let's talk about Dream's return to NXT. It's problematic to say the least. This is a guy who was accused in the public forum 
basically Twitter, and then got taken over to Reddit. Of, the best way I can put it is grooming teenagers. Now look, this is not 1980. This is 2020. WWE is a public company with investors. Dream is a potential one day star, but right now he's a relative nobody on WWE's third brand. He's been a champion, sure, um, but he's and he's someone who people want to be the NXT champion, but he's also someone who largely in terms of the WWE universe as a whole is irrelevant or would be forgotten about in short order. So I just cannot imagine WWE in 2020 risking putting someone on TV who was found to have perpetrated those things that he has been accused of. I have to imagine that WWE or hopefully police or a private investigation firm or something legitimately investigated the whole situation and WWE felt comfortable bringing him back. Otherwise, it's gross. And it did feel weird seeing him on TV without knowing one way or another, without knowing whether there has been an investigation, whether something was found or wasn't found, whether his absence was a punishment or whether it was just a waiting for them to come to the terms of the investigation and and find out what happened before making a decision. It's a really strange situation. Now, this only affects a small subset of fans, really people that are primarily on Reddit even, that follow you know, wrestling in the squared circle uh, subforum. And I'm on there. I read all the time. I occasionally post under a fake name, but I don't post a lot at all. Uh, but, but the point is, the immediate response from people that I read was everyone was angry, upset. How could WWE do this? They need to release details of an investigation. They're not going to do that. I mean, if WWE didn't release stuff around coronavirus and didn't come out and be completely honest about that, they're not going to come out and release a statement on their own about Velveteen Dream. Now, Triple H is going to be on a TakeOver 30 conference call next week. I expect he's going to be asked about it there. So there will be some type of statement or it will be addressed in some manner. But it is tough to bring someone back to TV like that, at least for your online fans, the hardcore fans, where you're trying to get a lot of them to watch your show instead of NXT, that 18 to 49 demographic. It is difficult to just bring someone back on TV especially if they're not going to win the match and especially if they're not going to win the title match without some type of statement. Velveteen Dream has been reinstated after an investigation into potential wrongdoing, found nothing, right? But WWE on the same standpoint, they don't want to put themselves out there. They don't want to say, hey, we investigated and found nothing and then something else comes out and they put this guy back on TV who allegedly, according to accusations, was grooming teenagers. So it's a tough situation. I don't, it's not one that I envy WWE on. I like that for AEW, they were very out in front and these are very different situations. But with Sammy Guevara and with Jimmy Havoc and they said, look, Havoc's going to rehab. Guevara's going to meet with people. Guevara's suspended. Havoc's gone indefinitely until we figure out what we're going to do. They addressed it. And now if they bring those guys back, they already brought Sammy back. Some people were still upset, but with Sammy, him apologizing the way he did, I had no issue with it. The fact that he he apologized very sincerely, he came back, he's fine. Havoc, there will be people if AEW decides to bring him back that are upset, but at least they can say AEW addressed it. They did something about it. With Dream, we're left in the dark. You know, it seems like there was not a police investigation. He wasn't arrested. It doesn't seem like he was charged with anything. That would all, we would know that. That's open. So because we don't know about anything like that, it's really tough to say that 
WWE did something and, and took the right step before bringing this guy back. So it, it seeing him just show up had me, rather than be excited like I should be when I see Velveteen Dream, it had me kind of saying, eek, I don't know that this was the best idea. Are we sure that this guy should be on television? And I do think that in some manner, WWE and NXT are going to need to address that. If they had the foresight to say, well, Triple H will be on a call in a week and we'll just have him address it then, that's fine. But if they have Velveteen Dream go and win this match next week against Finn Balor and be in the North American title match, then you got a guy on the card versus Triple H responding to something that's happening on television. So NXT, WWE, I think they put themselves in an unnecessary, difficult situation. I can't imagine Velveteen Dream winning the title at TakeOver. So did he really need to be the surprise mystery opponent? They could have had Ricochet or Cedric Alexander or Mustafa Ali. So if they're not going to win the match, they could have had anyone to pop the crowd. They didn't need to use Velveteen Dream. Okay, so that's it for NXT. Certainly an up and down show this week. I thought both really were. NXT and AEW Dynamite. That's what we're going to move into talking about now. And as I mentioned earlier, joining me to talk all things AEW and Dynamite, our normal WWE co-host on this podcast, Chris Vanini. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Vanini. Chris, this has been, forget wrestling for a second. This has been quite a week in the world of our regular jobs covering college football, man. I am absolutely exhausted right now. I don't know about you. I don't know what day it is. I don't know what month it is. I don't know when my birthday is coming up. It's It's been a mess, but I am back here on Getting Over for uh, one day. Apologies, I couldn't be there for the Monday night show. Uh, the sport of college football is falling apart at the seams, so I yeah. had to handle that. But I'm glad to be back on the Wednesday show, Thursday show, I guess, yeah, whatever like, day of the week it is. It's like we specifically carved out time and we're like, you know what? We'll be able to probably do the WWE show together because even when there is a football season, games are later in the week. You know, early in the week, you can kind of set your schedule, move some things around. And of course, what happens? We get cancellations from the Big Ten, the Pac-12, the Mountain West, individual schools all hitting us like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And it was just absolutely insane. So honestly, I, I obviously prefer you being on the Tuesday show. But looking back on it now, there were a couple of days removed. It was so much easier for me just to do that show by myself this week. <laughs> just like run through it in one hour, not spend two hours doing it, and then move on with the rest of my life. It's crazy. And you know what? AEW, because of the NBA playoffs, our schedule for this show is going to shift dramatically over the next couple of weeks. So we'll talk AEW now, not going to waste much more time. But at the end of the show, I'll tell you guys what is to come from getting over over the next couple of weeks. We are going to be shifting our schedules. We're going to be changing some things up. And it's largely because of the NBA and certainly WWE having not just two, but as I'll talk about later, three pay-per-views basically in two weeks coming up. It's going to be pretty interesting. But let's roll into AEW Dynamite. Really interesting show this week. As I said with NXT, I thought there were a lot of ups and downs, things that I definitely loved on AEW, but a couple things that gave me pause that I basically just thought the company could have done better. Let's begin with the biggest, I think, story, the biggest moment from the night, which was the main event, the $7,000 obligation match, Chris Jericho against Orange Cassidy, Orange Cassidy coming out with the victory. I thought this was a fine main event, Chris, from a storytelling perspective. I found myself drawn in and wanting to see the finish. Their previous match was good, so I thought this one would be as well. 
I didn't necessarily get fooled with the Mike Chioda thing. I didn't think he would ever be an evil heel referee who would cheat. But I did think that the inner circle run-in during the match would result in the finish. So I did get swerved there. Unfortunately, the finish that followed, while storyline good, wrestling-wise was largely botched. Jericho failed on that mousetrap roll-up. He basically leaned in the wrong direction. That was unfortunate. He also, throughout the match, looked really slow and kind of old, maybe for the first time. And I don't know. I do live in Florida, so I understand the humidity and the heat in the summer. I get it. I can't imagine wrestling for five minutes, let alone, you know, 14, 15, which is what I think they ultimately did here. So I'm going to give him a pass on that. But Jericho was not his best. He was nowhere close to his best in this match. Ultimately, Orange Cassidy gets the win. That's good for him long term. And Jericho, he can claim it was luck that he basically rolled him up in a, in a weird way, which wasn't really a mousetrap, but whatever. So Jericho can kind of get out of it, still be a heel and say, this, this kid got lucky. It's now one and one. Maybe they do a rubber match or something. What did you think about the booking and that main event? Well, first off, shout out Mike Kyoto. It was great to see him. I loved how they, they the commentary picked up on what makes him so good, the way he positions himself. Uh, always, I'm always a fan of giving just kind of character to the referees to treat them like people and not just a, 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 a blank face there doing something. So I enjoyed seeing him. I've enjoyed the Jericho Orange Cassidy feud. Uh, I think they've done a really good job over the last handful of weeks with this. It's been really fun. It's been funny. Um, uh, but yeah, this match was, and eh, the finish was not great. Um, it, it kind of was what it was. Like you said, Orange Cassidy gets the win back. Jericho can kind of, you know, talk it off like he does. But I, I got to say, I was surprised that this was kind of the main event as we go into a break here, kind of with the NBA playoff stuff coming up. Uh, j- just in general, I thought this show was OK. But what do you, th- what do you think the main event should have been? I think it should have been last week's Moxley Darby Allen match. I think I think oh, you're la- I, yeah, yeah, I think your last show going into a week and a half off or whatever have you kind of build this final show up, uh, not final show, but you know what I mean, as to something pretty big. Instead, it was kind of a throwaway show. You had the tag team stuff. There wasn't really anything urgent going on, and the main event was pretty fun, but no, none of it was urgent and, and had to see. So it, given you knew this was kind of coming up a little bit, I'm not sure exactly when they announced uh, the NBA deal, but I'm sure Tony Khan and them had an idea. I would assume I, I, I would have built this show up to be much bigger uh, compared to last week, but it, it was a fine show. Just not there was nothing really in the show that was like urgent, I, I guess, is the best way I would say it. No, that's true. In fact, that's really what I thought about the entire show. It was fine. Yeah. You know, it was a fine episode. And there are some weeks last week where AEW, man, I wish I had the sound drop, but it hits it hits me in the feel spot. And I'm like, you know what? They nailed it. And even my my nitpicks are nitpicks. They're not actual big time criticisms here for this show. I actually did have big time criticisms um, and we'll get to some of those in a little bit. But yeah, you know, I guess if you go with Darby and Moxley in the main event of this show, that would have been better. They are building that August 22nd card. I mean, by the way, counter programming takeover 30. I know that's. (laughs) I mean, we, we'll see. I don't know why they're doing it that Saturday as opposed to Thursdays, which is what they normally do, what they are doing the next two weeks, basically. So the next three dynamites are on Saturday, the 22nd, and then when Thursday, the next week and then Thursday, the week after that. 
So maybe there's also an NBA game on Thursday that therefore they can't do it this Thursday or next Thursday. Um, or maybe they legitimately wanted to counter program TakeOver 30. And if that's the case, the card they are building for this uh, Dynamite on the 22nd, it's pretty damn good. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's not a pay-per-view card, but it's pretty good. So yeah, I did think this was interesting. Um, I think if this was better, then we wouldn't have been as let down that it was the main event. I, that's my opinion. I think... I think the match was That's a left I think the match That's was fair. a left up. So the question now is where Orange Cassidy goes from here because he's now one of, what, two people? Maybe three? I think two in a calendar year to beat an AEW champion, period. Because Moxley hasn't lost, you know, a singles match. Uh, and Jericho lost to Moxley. <laughs> so, so no one's losing the champions, which is good, by the way. That's a really damn good thing from AEW, something WWE doesn't do. But Orange Cassidy now has one of these wins. I, for me, the ceiling for this guy, though, it's just not world title. I think maybe he gets a title match and loses. But I think TNT Championship is where this guy can thrive. It's it's maybe the height that he can actually get to. Others disagree. Others think this guy is a main eventer long term. What do you think about Orange Cassidy in that regard? I, I don't know. It's It's hard to say. I do think... He should get a world title at some point. I do think it should be a, a bit of a maybe a shorter run, but he I do think he should get that moment and he's hot right now. But I think that moment has to come in front of a lot of fans. I think you need a full arena for that moment for him because, you know, he's he's great. But kind of the, the, the fan reaction is a big part of what he does. He's been great. I don't think he's going to cool off anytime soon. The gimmick is so unique. I don't think people are going to get bored of it by any means. So um, I, I do think one day he should get a world title run. I, I don't think it's now, though, because of the situation that we're in. No, I think that's a really good point. Um, he really needs crowd response. And even though he's come across well in these circumstances, and I thought the old school bit they did last week worked for him, that was that was a nice you know, area to his gimmick where they can say, hey, you know, this guy doesn't really talk. He's he's cool and calm. But but when he does and he puts in a lot of effort, he's exhausted. Right. So I always I thought that was a funny um, take on the character. But yeah. yeah, I just long term. Yeah. Should he get a main event moment? Yes. Um, don't forget, he did have the match with with Pac and that was good. But long term, I just I don't this is not a world champion. I, the character doesn't fit. There's some guys where you can see it. Right. Not just them as people, but the characters that they have. Um, and there's others where you're just like, man, that's not a character that's made for being champion. That doesn't mean they can't be over for 10 years. It, it just means that that's that one thing that they may not get. So sure. I, don't know. I, I like, like I could, I could see him in like, in like a, in like a mankind type of role where it's like a, a two, three month feud where he, he wins the title maybe once or twice. And then that's it. You know, he's, he's he doesn't get the title back after that. I do think he should get quick. one yeah. moment. He's not something I think you can just throw into a main event feud every time. Like he's a Randy Orton or something like that. No. Yeah. I agreed with that. Now, the other thing about this main event was Chris Jericho actually competing on dynamite because there was a lot of controversy online primarily. I mean, look, it's Twitter and, and Reddit and stuff, but uh, Jericho was in Sturgis performing an outdoor concert with Fozzie just a couple days before dynamite. Okay. Uh, fans in attendance, like whole deal, people not wearing masks. Some did, some didn't. Um, and he came on the show, flew to Florida, presumably tested negative for their antibody test, but this was only a couple days later. Sometimes obviously coronavirus takes 
uh, you know, up to 10 to 14 days to develop and show in your system. And this guy comes out and performs in the main event. So look, I mean, I think considering the criticism that um, we've had for WWE legitimately, uh, criticism that I just spoke about a little while ago with Velveteen Dream competing in the NXT main event, I think this deserve. I think the criticism that it's deserved is legitimate. Now, my hope is that no one gets sick. My hope is that the criticism's legit and a lesson has been learned, and no one gets sick because of it. But man, I'm pessimistic about it. Like I saw him, seeing him in a concert a couple days ago, and pictures of it, and him tweeting it through it, kind of saying like, "Oh, it's not a big deal. We took precautions," you know, not caring about the fact that fans were shoulder to shoulder almost in the crowd. Um, yeah, I don't know. It kind of turned me off a little bit. Yeah, Chris Jericho at Sturgis. What is this, Road Wild 1998? I saw someone do hashtag COVID God. Like Demo <laughs> God? I thought that was pretty funny. I mean, like, uh, yeah, I, I have to imagine, you know, AEW knew about this and they planned it out. Like, they, they were, maybe they weren't going to pull their main event at the last minute because they didn't know about this. I, did, I, I don't they know. They did with Mox. Hey, they did with Mox. As, well, now, that, well, that's true, but there was a, there was a, there was a positive test nearby in there too, but that was a direct exposure situation. I agree. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's hard to imagine, I guess that there wasn't some sort of exposure there. Um, yeah. I mean, all I can do is just really hope that it didn't happen. And yes, it was irresponsible and it, it shouldn't have happened. Yeah. There's, there's no other way to put it. it. It's difficult. I almost feel like they could have figured out another main event, pushed it to the Saturday that gives you the 10, adi- 10 additional days and then, you know, he's safe and you have another big match for your 22nd card. But I guess they felt that they couldn't do that. So let's run down the rest of AEW Dynamite. That was the main event, if you want to call it topic for the show. Young Bucks defeated Dark Order in the opener. The action in this was good for me. But you finally had Dark Order last week get a team win, right? Dorky faction never wins, sucks, whatever. Now they're two on one in the ring and five on one in the ringside area. And you still have the Young Bucks win via roll up without any obvious direct storyline development. That that didn't work for me. I thought that was really bad booking. That was a situation where Dark Order could have compounded one win against another. Obviously, you had Brody Lee later in the show make a big challenge. We'll talk about that in a moment. But this was a spot where Dark Order needed to win. The Young Bucks, by winning, I thought gained absolutely nothing from it, except later in the show, Maybe how do you call them the best tag team of all time when they lose earlier in the show? I don't know. If you want to do that, don't have them in the match. They have so many other tag teams they could have put in this spot. I thought this was a big booking mistake. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I'm not normally on this show, but I'm still not really into Dark Order. I, I like the idea that there's a large faction and they are in various things throughout the show and it kind of connects various segments. So I do like that idea, but just the execution of the Dark Order is still not really into it so I, on one hand i think the dark order defeating the young bucks would have felt weird uh but but it was too you know, again they, they had the numbers though so if you're gonna right. have them beat the young bucks a two-on-one slash five-on-one situation that's the situation where it makes sense right that's i again it, it's it, it's 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 a common thing we say about WWE, which is you didn't need to put yourself in this position right, exactly. where you, you don't need where you kind of book yourself into a bad situation either way. So I, I don't know. Maybe, you know, this was the tag team deal. You know, you could have put them against anybody else and, and, and you know, and just had them win a tag team match if that's what you needed to do. I, I don't think, you know, a Dark Order beatdown here was really all that 
necessary. Yeah, I just I, the, the the way that that was done to me, it just it didn't really jive. And, and even later, some of the stuff with the Young Bucks didn't jive. But we'll talk about that. Up next was MJF giving another presidential candidate type of address. After all, you need MJF on your TV. We're in a ratings war, ladies and gentlemen. And he was still good on the mic here, no question. But while I went absolutely crazy praising him last week and thought his promo was absolute gold last week, this week it was just like fine. You know, it, it was almost, hey, we got to follow up on it. We're just going to kind of do the same thing and have him repeat himself a lot. And I felt the same way about something later in the show I'll mention. But the rest of this segment, just beyond the promo, was classic heel, thinking he has outsmarted the face only for John Moxley to actually go through the entrance where he never enters through, hit the paradigm shift, and then cut a damn good promo backstage. It also popped me, by the way, that Tony Khan was in the background the entire time, like sipping on his coffee. I don't think he thought he was going to be in the shop, but then once he was, he like took advantage of it. So I thought that was really funny. So Moxley, A, A plus maybe even on this. Um, the the booking of it in terms of how it happened and and MJF sending his campaign staffers, for lack of a better term, out, uh, A. But the promo itself, huge downgrade from last week. Yeah, I mean, a rare, I don't want to say miss, but a rare not home run for MJF, who is exactly. I, one of my favorite people in pro wrestling right now. It, it it was a few things. He shows the the map graphic with him and Moxley. They don't put it on the screen. You don't really know exactly what it was. It, I guess it was a poll. And if you look closely, it said MJF was up 500% to negative 1,000%, but they, they should have it, made it that was, bigger. It was supposed to be an electoral map. Yeah, I, it was unclear exactly what it was because yeah. they should have shown that better. And, and the promo was fine. It was whatever. It, it, like, this is a gimmick that happens every election year, and every, so, all, every somebody already always does it. He made it feel special and different last week. Yeah, you know, we, we all loved what he yeah. did last week. But this one felt like a typical generic uh, election type of promo. And he made he, he got really close to, I think, something he could have tweaked to make it better. I don't want to, you know, give my advice to MJF on promos. He obviously knows what the hell he's doing. But he called Moxley, you're the dog who got caught the car. And I thought that was something he could have really leaned into and he didn't. He starts talking about how he's Moxley's like not there for the fans and, and, and weird stuff. He should have said, you're the dog who caught the car. You've lost your edge. You've lost your hunger. I'm someone I'm a young guy who wants the title. I'm I'm up and coming. I've got the edge. I'm going to take that from you. And then Moxley comes in with his promo and shows he's still got the edge. Uh, comparing Moxie to the fans thing is just really weird. The fans don't want Moxie. There's no fans anyway, so it's kind of a weird thing. Um, I I thought that's, I think, an angle to take the case that MGF is trying to make. Um, But he's obviously still still great at what he does. And one other thing, his promo, or I mean, sorry, his entrance music should start not with the words where he says, I'm better than you and you know it. It should start with the the beat that goes, at the beginning of his theme, which is great. I love his theme. Yes, agreed. I feel like agreed. the entrance should just be the like when you get that, that's the moment when, oh, MJF's here, not the words of him saying something. I'm I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of those type of things. This is just me nitpicking. I'm rarely on the AEW show here. These are things I've just thought for a while and I wanted to throw them out there while I'm here. 
And by the way, like people are already going to get the idea that like, oh, Adam just found another person who doesn't like AEW. First of all, no. I like I like I AEW. It. Well, no, I'm going to clarify. I like <laughs> AEW. I just give honest criticism. Chris is a bigger AEW fan than me. So him coming on here, he's just he's giving you his legitimate thoughts and criticism. And by the way, I like that you're kind of catching people up on your thoughts on characters and stuff in general, because because they don't hear you normally, it gives it gives context to your opinions. So that's good. Yes, I don't typically watch NXT just because there's so much going on. I generally I try to watch AEW every night and uh, I'm sorry, every week and big fan of what they're doing. These are just my <laughs> thoughts that I've uh, not been it just able happened to, to me this week. Like, look, yes. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I thought it was a terrible, not not fine, not good, not great. A terrible episode. Last week, I thought it was a great episode. This yeah. week, I thought it was mediocre. And I think that's just look week to week. Opinions are going to change. And that's how it is. It's fine. By the way. He, what he should have, what MJF should have called Moxley was big dog, not just dog, big dog. Um, there was also a really great callback here. I just want to mention it before we move on. MJF, when he was walking backstage on his way to the ring, he pushed someone against the wall and yelled at them to get out of his shot. Well, if you remember back in NXT, uh, when Samoa Joe was champion, he did like a Goldberg walk to the ring with the title. And MJF actually was a security guard WWE paid, you know, to be in the shot, an independent wrestler who they paid and MJF started walking accidentally in front of Goldberg and was in the shot. And Samoa, sorry, Goldberg, I meant Samoa Joe. And Samoa Joe took him with one arm and shoved him against the wall, basically without saying it, to say, get out of my shot. I need to be in front as yep. Samoa Joe walked in the ring. So that was such a great Easter egg. Just like I said yeah. about Finn Balor earlier, such a great Easter egg to make inside uh, fans that think they're smart feel like they're smart because they caught it. And I definitely felt pretty cool because I caught that. I was like, oh, wow, that's that's that was a really cool moment, you know? Yeah, though, I, I didn't know about that until I saw people pointing it out on Twitter. And I was like, oh, that that's awesome. I, I always love stuff like that. It's it's the little things like that that really. Yeah, it, 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 it rewards you for investing. That, that's exactly. what those things do. Exactly. Now, next was that TNT championship. Cody defending the title against Scorpio Sky. For me, this was a good kind of classic style match here, which. You don't get too much of in AEW. I didn't love the agency of it, though. It Sky took Jericho to the limit when he was AEW champion with a longer, better match than this was against Cody. Here, they tried to only make him look strong by kicking out of the crossroads, but he ate another one later and then easily got pinned. Not easily, but got pinned. So now this guy who fans want to be a singles champion, who... Uh, presumably people in the company long-term want to be a singles champion, has lost both of his title opportunities. So there's really no reason to expect him to get another one anytime soon. And even when SCU were tag team champions, they barely hold, held those titles in terms of length of time. So I was disappointed. Did I want Sky to beat Cody for the title here? Yes. I thought this was an opportunity for them to change it, for Cody to put someone over and not look bad in the process. I understand based on next week, we'll talk about next week in a moment, why they didn't change the title. My expectation now is they're going to change it next week. But coming out of this match, which was the number one thing I was looking forward to on the show, I couldn't help but be disappointed. Yeah, and honestly, I kind of got the sense that was the point because they continue to inch further and further towards showing that Cody's going to become a heel at some point. Yeah. And calling him what the, the what they call him, the, the, the prince of 
wrestling or what was that? They added a nickname to his yeah, intro. Yeah, I think it was that. I think it was something. Yeah, was yeah, like Prince something in his intro. And by the way, uh, now he has like, I mean, we already know about the, the pyro and normally he comes out with a huge entourage for like pay-per-view title matches. But now he's coming out with like six, seven, eight yeah, people. This is yeah. definitely a heel turn. This is done. Yeah. He's done. To make us hate Cody. It has to be. Yeah. In, in commentary is pointing that out too, being confused at these extra nicknames. And and I I think being disappointed that Cody won is gonna be part of that. And yeah. you know, we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But I, I, I would have liked Scorpio Sky to win. I wanted him to win. And I'm annoyed that Cody won. And you know, maybe that's that's kind of the point. Yeah, no, look, if they're if they're working me, then that's good. I wanna get worked. That's you know, like Everyone thinks that yeah. getting worked in when you're a fan is a bad thing. Like you're a mark no. or something. No, I watch wrestling to get worked. I watch wrestling yes. so that things that happen at the main of, in main event situations swerve the shit out of me. And then I come on here and I say, oh my God, I did not see that coming. That's what I want. The problem is oh, in yeah. wrestling these days, it's very difficult to do that, right? So in a situation like this, I'm happy. I, I, if, if that's what they're doing, if this is all to make us really sick of Cody more to detest him, whether it's as a heel or whether it's because maybe he's going to take a break from TV for a period of time and actually be an executive vice president, whatever they're going to do. If that is towards that end, then I appreciate it. I think it's going really slow though, if that's the case. And yeah, it's to the point where if this winds up in a combination storyline for horsemen with Cody turning heel and it's like three months from now, Maybe I'll say to myself, you know what? I kind of wish you pulled the trigger a little bit sooner. Yeah, I feel like it'd be easier to do if you had fans right now. Obviously, I, yeah. I think I, I think you'd have probably fans disappointed that Cody won that match. And you could tell that story kind of like the Seth Rollins type of way. So they're going to have to kind of do it a little bit different way. I wish they had done a post-match interview with Sky. I think that would have hammered it home. He was depressed. For him to That's go back to point. And, and be able to say something in that situation would have been good. Um, now, it does look like Brody Lee's the next challenger, and that's a good call for me, from AEW. Uh, you know, he got that win last week uh, over Hangman Page in that uh, 18-man, 12-man tag team match. Um, I like what AEW is doing. A few weeks ago on this show, I called for AEW to stop just giving us random TNT title matches. So just give us minor storylines, a challenge, a reason why Cody's defending against a certain person, and to do it against rostered wrestlers. Not just these independent people or random members of tag teams who don't need singles pushes and aren't going to be single stars or, you know, like a Sonny Kiss or they did Mark Quinn. I'm glad they got opportunity. I'm glad they got opportunities. And, and I think it's part of the TNT picture to give some of those matches. But there was a my point is there was a string of them in a row where the challengers were not people you thought would actually beat Cody. There was, but I, I, I think it was that's fair. I, I but I think it was good to start off the TNT championship with the understanding that that's what this gonna th- thing is largely going to be for. We'll get into storylines, but let's highlight some people who maybe we don't highlight enough. And we've talked yeah. about you know, bringing in an Eddie Kingston or a war horse. And you're like, why not highlight people they have on the roster already? Okay. They did with a sunny kiss, with a Mark Quinn, with a, with a, with a jungle boy um, and, and stuff like that. I, I'm fine with, I was fine with how the TNT as championship has gone up to this point at this point though. Yes, I, we do need to get into some storylines, but I was yeah, okay with how they handled it. In some respects, it's like a video game where you start off with, like like Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. You're starting off with, uh, man, I'm forgetting the names of the guys. I'm sorry, folks. It's been like 20 years, 30 years since I played that game. 
Um, but you start off with some of the smaller competitors that are easily beaten. And then you start moving on to the middle tier, the Eddie Kingstons, yeah. right? And maybe someone's surprise pops in, but then it gets the difficulty level increases. So now you have Scorpio Sky, and now you have Brody Lee, who's the king. He's the Mike Tyson, right? And can this guy beat Mike Tyson? The problem is Cody's not Glass Joe. So he he doesn't need to start small and work his way up in that regard. Cody is almost the Mike Tyson in this situation. So I don't know. It it just, for me, there were, as I said, there were, it was like five weeks in a row where it was either one half of tag teams or independent wrestlers. And it's like, okay, I, I like the TNT title. I like that you have a mid-card title. I like that you're doing an open challenge. But usually after the open challenge, the goal is for that person to get some push, even if, you know, nothing happens. Uh, yeah. Once once Sony Kiss lost, they, they haven't had another tag team match with Joey Janelle and Sony Sonny Kiss on TV. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Quinn, Private Party, has been on TV, but it didn't do anything for him really as a singles competitor. Scorpio Sky, they were building him on dark the entire time for this match, but at least they were building him for it. So it would have been nice if AEW over the weeks would have some singles wrestlers competing, a couple different machinations of, of people and then someone wins a singles match against someone else, they're starting to feel confident they challenge for the title, like Scorpio Sky did. So that's all I was wanting. I want a little bit more meat. You know, I, I want a little bit more... Big meat, man, slapping meat. I, I, I want, you know, build. That that sound drop went on a little bit longer than I expected. Um, <laughs> that was a new one, by the way. So, uh, so I just want a little bit more. And I think with Brody Lee, we've had a longer-term storyline and I do think there's going to be a title change. I think the title changes hands next week, uh, next uh, Saturday, I guess. I, I, I think so, too. I mean, you saw Brody Lee holding the old TNT championship. Cody has the new one. Um, it, 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 the Dark Order kind of needs that next step now, I guess. Based, I'm not super. I'm not a big fan of them, but based on where they're going and it looks like what they're trying to do, it would probably make sense. Because if they lose that one, then, then you know, Brody Lee has lost two title matches and... You know, what, what's he really doing there? And real quick, what do you so we have the updated TNT championship. It's gold instead of silver. It's still on the red leather. Uh, it's a little more detailed, but not all that difference. More shiny. What did you think? Look, like I it's just. I feel like any opinion I give give on AEW is couched, <laughs> is couched with he doesn't like AEW. No matter what I say, it just it hurts. It hurts that you guys don't understand that these are honest opinions. And I because I saw I saw people online. I saw people tweet, oh my God, what a drastic improvement. It's so much better. I get it now. They were right. No, no. It's almost exactly. It's an ugly effing title. Now, is it better than version one? Yes. If version one was a two out of 10, this is a four out of 10, but it's still below average. This is not a good looking championship. This is the closest comparison is the WWE now NXT cruiserweight championship. That looks so much better than the TNT title. That is the closest example I can give. Chris, you tell me, man. I thought it was an improvement. Yes, it is not an embarrassing bad title like the 24-7 title. So it has jumped the 24-7 title. But it is still not good. It's still below average. And they still should have done a way better job. Yeah, I think the TNT logo needs to be smaller. It's a tough logo to put on a belt with that sans serif plain font in the circle. It's an ugly logo. You can make it look cool. Give it a jagged look to it. Like black either, or yeah, something. either. If yeah, I mean, if you want to do the TNT logo, make it a smaller circle and throw a bunch of flare around it and stuff like that. They added some more flare on, on the outsides of it. I think the red belt is not helping. Makes it look like a toy. Um, it, it's, I think I give it like maybe a 
four or five out of ten, like you right. said. Right. It, it's just kind of some built-in problems that the the fixes didn't actually fix the larger problems. I mean, listen, if, if this one debuted, I don't think we would have gone on rants saying it's a terrible title. We would have just said it's mediocre. They could have done better. Okay. So that's fair. And not every title is going to be good. This is this is still way better than the AEW Women's Championship. Okay. So, yes. so let's not even get there. But But I am not going to now praise them like it's great just because it's better than the first one that we saw. The first one, the first one clearly was an unfinished product. Okay. So we judged it and we knew that. And we said, Hey, we're going to keep an open mind, but now you have to judge apples to apples. I'm not giving them credit for, they didn't make it better. They just, this is the original design and it's okay. It's mediocre. I don't know why it's, yeah. I don't know why it's red. I, I think, I think a black leather, would could put it up to maybe a six. It's just the red sticks out. The plain yeah. logo sticks out. TNT traditionally is red. That's their logo. So that's the reason. But I, you know, yes, what, you know, you know what would have been cool? Not a yellow belt necessarily. Strap, I mean, but like a gold or something like that. And then you allow the the graphics and stuff to be black and silver. Mm. And you and you do something like that. I don't know how that would have looked, but. WWE actually came out with a Hulk Hogan replica version of the WWF championship. Oh, yeah. And it has like a yellow and red striped strap. Maybe doing a black and red striped strap rather than just plain red would have enhanced it. Something like that. I wish they had gotten a little bit more creative. Look, same same criticisms with the US title. The US title design for me is a huge improvement over the old one. But how someone looked at that for the, for the WWE, I'm saying. How someone looked at that and didn't see like the word champion above everything else and realized, hey, you know what? This title's like 80% done. If we just tweak a couple things, it could be maybe the best title we have. How someone didn't see that, I don't know. And that's the same thing here. How someone looked at this and said, man, this is good as it is. Let's not make any additional changes or improvements. I, I don't know. I don't know how it gets by. Yeah. So same criticisms. Um, all right, let's move on. Uh, tag team championship again, like the, the tag team championship defense for like the seventh time in 10 weeks or something. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defend against Jurassic Express. Look, uh, I know you occasionally listen to my takes on AEW tag team wrestling. They just need to make these all tornado matches. This one, the finish, the, like for large portions, all four guys are in the ring. There were no tags. I, I don't know if it's Bryce Remsburg. I think he was the referee here, but the, these referees either don't care the agencies or the wrestlers who are booking the matches don't care. They don't follow tag team rules in AEW. They just don't. And no. considering how big of a deal they make of their tag team division with FTR and the Young Bucks and the thing we're going to talk about in a moment, it's really pr- pissing me off. But I love Omega and Page. I love Jungle Express. But something about the match didn't work for me. Um, considering how many times the tag team titles have been defended on the show, I had zero expectation that there would be a change. So it didn't hold my interest. I didn't believe that it was important. And I didn't particularly enjoy it, which is a shocker for me. These are my four of my favorite wrestlers in the entire company. Yeah, I, I thought it was fine. You know, the, 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 I, I get, you know, you want to build to hot tags in these moments. And it's hard to have those moments when you do tornado tags. And I know AW wanted, wants to allow more time to stay in when you're doing uh tags but the same thing happened in the 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 young bucks dark order match too it's just uh uh 
Matt Jackson, the other, the other uh, what's the other, what's the other guy's name? Matt, Nick Jackson, yeah, Nick Jackson would just come in and like super kick like out of nowhere, and we're just continuing to move on with the match like it's nothing. It, it's 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 a, it's a problem. It's noticeable, and and you just again would like to have some structure in there, get, you know, give the ref more control, do, 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 do something. But it is, it is strange because, you know, the idea they don't want Schmaz finishes, finishes and, and, and they don't want to do that kind of stuff, but they're just, there's a lot of stuff that's just not being explained in terms of what these rules are. And, and it's also like the champions are defending almost every week. This is not the TNT title. This is the tag team championship. Why are they defending every week? Um, why are none of them non-title matches? And yeah, they should how build, are all these people it, getting, yeah. But how are all these people getting number one contenderships? I mean, we, we've discussed it before. Or I've discussed it before. The, if the fifth ranked person is going to get a title shot, what sense does that make? The whole point of the rankings, I know in listen, I know I know what boxing is, right? But boxing's corrupt. OK, and I know <laughs> even in you, I know even in UFC, there are situations where the number four challenger, number three challenger will get a title shot before the number one person. But that's also because of fight scheduling. So in UFC, if someone fights in September and the, the UFC wants to have a, a, a title defense in October, that person that fought in September is not going to fight in October. They need a couple months. So that's why that happens. In wrestling, that doesn't really work. So if you're going to have rankings, which by the way, they don't really show so much on TV. It's more of an online thing now. But if you're going to have rankings, then how is, are the tag team champions defending the titles six times in eight weeks? Like it's crazy yeah. to me. Just give me some number one contender stuff. You know, when when they did that with the best friends, they won the number one contender. They had to defend it. They do that video package that explains why they're such but good they, friends. But, but then Omega and Paige defended the titles before that match anyway. Right, right. It got so, a little weird. But I'm just saying, just if you can just, instead of doing it every week, you know, build up a challenger the previous week and then do it the next week. Like, I would just, it would be, uh, it'd be better. It, it is weird because... We just had a whole big thing about the number one contender matters so much. And all of a sudden, people are just getting the title shots. It's just, again, with that consistency. They did, again, they did a great job with the best friends in that buildup over a handful of weeks leading mm -hmm. into the, the pay-per-view. Like, just and it was a do great that. Match. At, yeah, just do that every three weeks. Just build somebody up for three weeks and then do the match. Like, I, I think that'd be just a, a simpler way to uh, get it across. Because they have so many good tag teams and we're kind of losing the some of the character development part of that. And it's all becoming about just the wrestling. That's the crazy thing. They have the best tag team roster in the world, but they don't have good tag team booking. I, I don't know this to be true. We, we do know that Kenny Omega is in charge of the women's division, but it feels to me like Kenny books, the women, uh, the young bucks book, the tag teams and it's like indulgent and it's all in their style. And then, um, Cody, primarily, and Tony Khan. I mean, Tony Khan books everything, obviously. But Cody, maybe, is a little bit more in charge of the main event scene. And I think when you have Cody, you have a mind for the business, someone who's been involved, who has spent a lot of time in WWE, working with not just Vince and, and all of their bookers, but Arn Anderson long-term and some of the other people who have been veterans. And I think you see that the AEW main event booking and male singles booking largely is good. And very solid. But then you go to the tag team and the women's booking and it's not. And I just kind of feel like the, the people that are less experienced are having more influence in things that aren't going well in AEW. Whereas the guy who does have the experience, that division, that set, set of things is going well. The You know, I had issues with Brian Cage jumping in and getting 
a world title shot with um, Brody Lee coming in and immediately getting a title shot, whatever. But they were at least booked well. And Moxley retained in those situations. And know, they with some of the other things that are happening. They, it's, and they explained it. Brian Cage, Brian Cage got the, the poker chip. Brody right. Lee basically right. asked for it. And Moxley said all he had to do was ask. You know, they, they just explained why it happens. That's all you need. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, next up was the tag team appreciation night. I'll let you kind of go first on here. This was maybe the second biggest type of segment or moment of the show. What did you think about this entire segment, how it transpired? I thought it was a weird time to mention Marty Jannetty. <laughs> Agreed. Um, but I, I thought it was fine, and I, I really liked how it ended. I really liked Tully saying, you guys think you're the best, but you don't have the belts. That's what makes you the best. That's what I wanted to hear out of it. What matters is the winning. And, and you know, it was just, it was, it was okay. It was fine as a segment. It, you know, it was fun seeing some you know, the old guys get around and, and do some stuff. But I, I thought when, when Tully made that point, that's when I was like, okay, we're taking this seriously here. I, I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was a little strange that it was FTR hosting the Tag Team Appreciation Night, but the Young Bucks opened the segment. Yeah. Right? And they were the ones who basically were running the whole thing before everyone took their turns. But I think we all knew how the segment would end. And because of that, it didn't, that didn't bother me. But at the same time, because I knew how it was going to end, it didn't do, it, it wasn't as big of a shock value, I guess, is, is where I'm look is what I'm getting at. They already did this with Ricky and Robert. They did it last year with the inner circle, I think, where they power bombed them off the stage through a table or through a oh, electrical yeah. box or something like that. So the last time the Rock and Roll Express showed up, they got beat up. So this time they're showing up. It's not. I know it's not going to be Arn and Tully, right? I know FTR and the Young Bucks. They're the teams. They're the rivalry that you know is trying to get developed. So I knew that Rock and Roll Express was going to eat something. Now, that said, what I actually liked about this segment was Tully. He was mm -hmm. awesome. He goes. He's like, guys, you can. You're praising each other. You're patting each other's on the back. Uh, everyone's blowing you guys up. Cut the shit. Neither of you are champions. Right now, you're both losers, you know, because someone else is the champion. I'm trying to do something here. Arn's got his thing going. You guys are doing nothing. I thought that was great. Slapping some sense into the young kids saying, hey, you know, you can think you're awesome, but until you actually have the hardware, you're nothing. So that's what I loved. I want more Tully. I want more yeah. guy, you know, laying down the law um, and, and putting people in their place. I thought it was just kind of sloppy, the rest of it. Like FTR taking out Rock and Roll Express. Okay, fine. What was the motivation for that? Like, maybe they explain that on Saturday. Cool. But, you know, was, was the entire motivation that they said the Young Bucks are the best tag team in the world? Well, they sat there listening to it the whole time, and they kind of said the same themselves previously. So, yeah, well, I mean, maybe they were just trying to prove maybe they're trying to prove themselves as the best by taking out a legendary team. We'll, we'll see where it goes from here. I, I it, it, This I, moment needed to kind of happen. We needed to get away from they're kind of friends. They're kind of not they're working together. We're going to move into, all right, now we're going to take this seriously and, and focus on these guys. So it, it was, you know, bits and pieces here and there, not great. But but overall, I thought uh, it, it, it moved it. Everything moved it into a more serious tone, which is always hard to do with the Jacksons, and the Young Bucks. Um, and I, so I think that was uh, I think that was needed. That's true. I, I just wish, just like with Scorpio Sky, I wish they had grabbed the mic and as they were like hightailing it out of there. They'd grab the mic and said, you guys really think you're the best tag team? You think everyone, th you know, 
uh, you think Rock and Roll Express and these guys, you think we care what they think. We're the best tag team in the world. Throw the microphone down, walk out. Like at least that gives some yeah. immediate resolution and immediate umph to the action that was taken. Instead, you're just kind of like, okay, you beat up some old guys. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. always good with I'm always good with a, a mic moment to kind of put a bow on something that happens. But uh... yeah, that's how that's how I look at it. Now, women they got four minutes on the entire show. Karushita. In yeah. a non-title match, the beat an enhancement talent. I honestly didn't even catch her name. I swear they said it one time. The rest of the match, they did not mention the women's na- woman's name. Um, another typical four-minute AEW match with a mediocre second-rate performer. Nothing else with Britt Baker and Big Swole. I know they're doing the women's tournament on Monday nights on YouTube. Apparently, it's doing pretty well, so good for them. Um, and I guess the finals of that are going to be on the twenty-second Dynamite, which is good. That's a good development if if they are actually doing that. So that's a positive, but look, I know there's injuries in the women's division. I'm not going to repeat myself every single week. There can be injuries. You can still have multiple women segments and you can still find ways to get people over. They're not doing it. Yeah, they're, they're tr- I mean, they were trying to promote the tournament and promoting heels and that kind of stuff, but it can't just be done through commentary. It, it has to be done through actions that you're seeing on your screen. Um, uh, really, just really pound it. Uh, forward and explain this and have people involved talk about it and have more than a four minute match. You know, there just, there aren't women's storylines going on right now outside of Britt Baker and, and yeah. big swole. How about, uh, that, how about, that, a, how about a weird Chris Statlander vignette of her rehabbing in a strange way because she's an alien. Yeah. You know, how, how about status updates on some of the other women that aren't able to be there that, that, you know, what's Rio doing in Japan? What's what's ha- like, do something. Get creative. You're supposed. This is supposed to be the creative company. That's Figure the kind of stuff they. I mean, you're right. Like that's the kind of stuff they would do on P- BTE all the time, back yeah. in the day. Is just periodically check in. So yeah, it's just you know. It, obviously, they've been criticized recently for for a lot of this stuff with the women. Um, it's good to if it's the tournament stuff. If it's doing well, that's good. Um, but I, I think uh, they need to be more clear about it and more. Just you still need to emphasize it more on your main TV show. That's the only, that's the only way you're going to get more people over to the other one. Agreed. And I have not watched the tournament at all to this point, but I will watch the semifinals and finals because I do. You know those those teams are at least made of people who are somewhat legitimate and worth caring about, and I want to see the quality. I want to see if they found something here. You know, but mm-hmm. it it, just, it was very strange to me to randomly do a women's tag team cup when you don't have tag team titles and there's no reason to have women's tag teams and you can't even get the singles performers over. So I don't know why they didn't just start doing matches, women's matches for a tournament for a number one contendership on TV with all these women. Not not all of them. Some of the ones that are a little bit rough around the edges, maybe not them, but half of them. And then do a quick little tournament on TV. And now Sheeta has a contender for the August 22nd or whatever that following Wednesday is dynamite. And you have a title match. That's that's yeah. the direction I would have gone. Just, it's the same thing. It's the same thing I just said for the tag match, tag titles. Yeah. Just like build up some number one contenders, just some some mini tournaments, just some mini tournaments over two three weeks. So it's just a great way to just keep attention and feel like things are moving forward. Exactly. Now wrapping up here, basically the the another Jake Roberts promo with Lance Archer. I feel like we're mostly getting different versions of the exact same thing every week. I like. <laughs> it's funny. Archer beating people up in the background while Roberts is talking almost as if nothing's happening. It's pretty funny, but it is getting repetitive. I think we've seen it like four times now. I also like that they did get to show the power dynamic here, which is nice because is Jake leading Archer or is Archer leading Jake? They made it very clear this week that Archer is the one in charge, 
Roberts is just his mouthpiece. I'm not sure the purpose and why they would have pre-written stuff on Jake Roberts' back for him to take his shirt off and show people. Um, is that a branding that <laughs> Archer is doing to Jake? Like it, that was really strange. That's not a criticism. It's just like, I don't get it. Now, maybe they'll explain that in the future. So that was weird. But other than that, the dynamic of them, it just works so well together. But it is strange that you have Lance Archer and he's just never wrestling anybody. Why not? Just feed him some people. Squash Yeah, I'm, Yeah, I, I, I like these segments. Uh, I, I've really in, enjoyed them. They've been funny. They've been fun. I've, Jake is, is bringing so much kind of gravitas and, and, and a feeling of danger to all of it. But yeah, th- throw in a couple of matches or, or go back and do some of those carny backyard type matches like he was doing as if this was raw underground or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, we, we kind of need to get him to the next point now, but, but for the time being, I, I think this is fine. It's not, it's not like one of those situations where it's like a, a Alistair black or a stardust doing a promo backstage for like seven weeks in a row. And you, you're not, you're not sure anything's going to come of it. At, at least these are, these are getting the, the point across, which is Lance is still somebody you don't want to mess with. Absolutely. No. And he's not. And he's he's a big signing for them. So I hope they figure out a way to feature him a little bit more. Uh, And by the way, one thing I didn't mention earlier, I just want to say it before we get out of AEW here with Brody Lee, you can't. One of the reasons he needs to win the title, you can't have him lose the AEW title and then lose the TNT title and be the leader of a faction. He has to win next week. There's no question about it. Um, Now, before we get out of here, I wanted to do a little housekeeping and let you guys know what's coming up in the world of the getting over wrestling podcast over the next couple weeks because things are going to be strange mostly because there's a lot of wwe happening and at the same time aew schedule has shifted around so this tuesday on getting over we will have our wwe SummerSlam ultimate preview then on thursday we will do an nxt takeover 30 ultimate preview and as of right now I have two major interviews scheduled for that show. So I am excited about that. There will be no AEW on that episode because AEW is not airing until Saturday, the same night as TakeOver. On Sunday, we will have our WWE SummerSlam and NXT TakeOver 30 instant analysis. We're going to make sure that Chris watches both of those. Then on Tuesday, the following week, we will cover Raw after SummerSlam and AEW Dynamite from Saturday. So it's going to be weird. A WWE slash AEW show. Chris hopefully will be with me for both of those. And then on Friday, we will cover NXT and AEW Dynamite because Dynamite will air Thursday the following week. So crazy schedule. I will remind you guys of it week to week as we go show by show. I also hope to get some WWE interviews ahead of SummerSlam. We'll see if we include those in Tuesday show next week. Maybe we do four shows next week. I don't know. But the point is there's a lot of getting over wrestling podcasts coming over the next few weeks as August concludes, as the NBA playoffs go on and AEW switches around its schedule. Very excited about all of it. And I hope Chris joins me for the vast majority of it. Okay, that is it for today's show. Again, you can follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. And of course, please follow the show at Getting Overcast. And folks, we don't just tweet episodes and talk about wrestling all week, but when we do these things, retweet, like, reply, interact with us. I want the social media universe to know 
getting over is the real deal in the wrestling audio space. Also, don't forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and review. Every single rating and review matters. Please, it's all about the five. That's it. I'm saying goodbye for Chris. The Silver King here saying goodbye. I'll also say goodbye for Randy Savage as well. No time for him today. We will see you on Tuesday. Bye for now.